China has banned Taiwan's wax apple and sugar apple imports, putting pressure on Taiwan's fruit farmers. Stash Butler speaks with international relations expert Dr. Bryce Wakefield about AUKUS, a new security pact between the U.S., U.K., and Australia, and what it means for Taiwan. What is a sugar apple, and how do you eat one? We give it a try later on in the show. Finally, why did China stop importing the two fruits from Taiwan, and how is Taiwan reacting to the news? I'll go over that with you in hashtag Taiwan. This is Taiwan Insider. is at it again. This week, they've banned sugar apples and wax apples from Taiwan, just like they banned pineapples in March. Most of Taiwan's fruit is consumed domestically, but China is the primary export market of quite a few of Taiwan's fruits, and that has a lot of fruit farmers worried. Taiwan could take this trade dispute to the WTO next month, but for now, the people of Taiwan and the government are pulling together to support our local farmers. Eight kilos of wax apples leave with a happy customer. In this rural district of Kaohsiung City, the fruit is selling like hotcakes. One woman says she drove here to Liugui district from Tainan after hearing of China's import ban on sugar apples and wax apples. A local farmer says his so-called honey wind chime wax apples go mostly to China. But of course, that's no longer possible, leaving bags of ripe wax apples on the trees. Farmers hope the government will step in. It won't be possible to find export markets quick enough to make up the shortfall, so online shopping, deliveries and market stalls seem to be the best way forward. Growers here are busy taking orders and selling off hundreds of kilos of their crop. One farmer says she's touched by the flood of support. Kaohsiung Mayor Chen Qi Mai says authorities will integrate the shopping platform of the Liugui Farmers Association with e-commerce sites. The city's wax apples account for 12% of Taiwan's total production. If patents here can be replicated elsewhere, markets should see this fruit flying off the shelves. In March, when China banned Taiwanese pineapples, it took the Taiwanese only four days to buy up what China buys up in a year. We also have the Japanese to thank. They increased Taiwanese fruit imports nearly 300% this year. For the first time in five years, Taiwan has seen more fruit exported to other countries than to China. And there's another group we need to thank, the Taiwanese diaspora. They may not live here in Taiwan, but they are having an impact. I recently spoke with a top official in charge of relations with the diaspora, Vice Minister of the Overseas Affairs Community Council, Roy Liu. I asked him what kind of role he thinks the Taiwanese diaspora play in Taiwan today. Most of the overseas Taiwanese, they care about Taiwan and they, um, they wanted to do something for Taiwan, such as when there is some kind of uh, a disaster which mm. we do not wish to see. And the people uh, around the world, the overseas compatriots, they will try to um, stand up, they will try to do something they can do to help the the people back home. And also, in the international community, they usually speak up for Taiwan. Mm. They wanted to let the world hear the voice of Taiwan and also let the world 
see Taiwan. So I think Taiwan is not lonely internationally. We have a strong backup force, strength to support Taiwan everywhere. So they play an important role yes. for Taiwan in this world, we could say, right? I remember when we had our Freedom Pineapple campaign, when mm -hmm. China suddenly banned the import of pineapples you know, to China, Taiwanese pineapples. And there were a lot of Taiwanese associations abroad you know, eager to buy our pineapples. That's very impressive. Um, you know, there are two, I, I see two kinds of supporting for, th for this pineapple event. Uh, where there can, they can import pineapple, the fresh fruit, such as uh, in Australia, Canada, they bought a lot of the uh, pineapple immediately. And then uh, for some countries, which the fresh food is not still permitted to be imported, they will buy the, uh, the product of the dried mm. fruit and they show their care about Taiwan. No matter uh, Taiwan is under any kind of pressure or any kind of uh, uh, difficulty, they are still, their heart is still with Taiwan. Stick around because later on we're going to try to figure out how to eat a sugar apple. But next up, we're going to tell you more about AUKUS, a new security pack that could have a big impact on Taiwan. The U.S., the U.K., and Australia have launched a new strategic partnership in the Indo-Pacific region. It's got its own acronym, too, AUKUS. Now, Australia and the United States have gone on record to say that Taiwan is one of its most important partners in the region. So what implications does AUKUS carry for Taiwan? Well, Stash Butler spoke with Australian international relations expert Dr. Bryce Wakefield to find out more. AUKUS is a partnership that's based around the Indo-Pacific region and I mean, for many countries it's, you know, Taiwan is explicitly part and an important part of that Indo-Pacific region. What does AUKUS mean for Taiwan? Well, what it means for Taiwan is what it means for Australia um, and that's that these Australian subs that uh, we will apparently receive in 20 years or so um, will change the strategic posture of um, Australia because um, the subs that Australia has on order from the French, which they're cancelling, um, are uh, conventional subs which are, which are shorter range, they're more equipped to um, defend the area around Australia, but with these longer range subs, what it'll mean is that Australia can support uh, particularly uh, US uh, operations in places like the South China Sea and um, East China Seas. And that op has obvious implications uh, for operations surrounding Taiwan. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, France's reaction to this and you know they've reacted very angrily to the news of the partnership and the cancellation of their submarine deal with uh, Australia, calling it a stab in the back. Um, what's the next step for France in terms of reviving its Indo-Pacific strategy and, and how might Taiwan figure in those plans for France? Well, as you've mentioned, France is enraged and uh, to some degree the, the rage that France is expressing at the moment is quite understandable. The French have stated that the, the AUKUS arrangements came as a sudden shock, that they were never informed, and the Australian government has confirmed that they rang the French uh, at 8.30 the night before the, the public announcement. Now, Frankly, this is no way to treat an ally. The, the diplomacy is sloppy here. From the point of view 
of Indo-Pacific security. Um, this is this is not good news. It uh, it, it causes um, tension among allies who would usually be advocating for a free and open Indo-Pacific, including um, the area around Taiwan, the South China Sea, and uh, yeah, causes divisions where, frankly, there didn't really need to be any. This could have been handled in a much defter way. I don't think this is too risky for Taiwan, but the fact that Western allies who are committed to notions like the rules-based international order have been committed to the Indo-Pacific. The fact that these allies are arguing can't be a positive development for Taiwan either. Now, the, the day after the August announcement, the foreign and defence ministers of the US and Australia issued a joint statement that spells out an intent to strengthen ties with Taiwan, which they call a leading democracy and a critical partner for both countries. And, and that comes after Australian exports to Taiwan have also you know, grown dramatically, uh, particularly in the last five years. Could we be beginning to see uh, a golden era in Australia-Taiwan ties? Yeah, certainly, um, while I, I'd hesitate to call it a golden era, you're certainly seeing much more attention paid to uh, Taiwan in Australia. And that's really as a result of the rise of China and frictions between the PRC and Australia. Taiwan figures much more into Australia's strategic calculations and as a result you do get people focusing a lot more on um, not necessarily the nitty-gritty of Taiwanese politics and society but certainly the notion that Taiwan is um, a democracy and shares very uh, very many of the norms and standards that, uh, that, that Australia and its allies do. Next up, Leslie explains Taiwan's latest fruit-related drama in Hashtag Taiwan. Do you guys remember Freedom Pineapples? Well, if you don't, here's a bit of a refresher. In March, China banned the import of Taiwanese pineapples, citing pest problems. Before the ban, a majority of Taiwanese pineapple exports went to China. Taiwanese officials said that 99% of exported pineapples passed inspections, so they thought that the ban was bogus. But Taiwan had enough faith in its pineapples that it said, fine China, don't take our pineapples, we'll find another place for them. The campaign was a success with people in Taiwan and places like South Korea and Japan buying up all the excess pineapple stock. Now, a similar thing is happening with these two fruits. Do you know what they are? Well, if you don't, don't worry, because odds are if you don't live in a tropical climate, then you've never seen one of these weird looking fruits. One is a wax apple, the other is a sugar apple, also known as a custard apple. These are two popular fruits Taiwan is known for. So on Sunday, China suddenly banned wax apple and sugar apple imports from Taiwan. The ban was to take effect on Monday at 9am, giving farmers less than 24 hours notice that one of their largest markets was closed off. China said it detected mealybugs in wax apple and sugar apple shipments from Taiwan. Okay, but here's the thing though. In the first half of 2021, China notified Taiwan that it found mealybugs in 13 sugar apple shipments and 6 wax apple shipments. Okay, that's fair. But there were no reports of mealybugs in July and August, the two months leading up to this latest ban. In response, Taiwan's Council of Agriculture said China provided no scientific evidence for the first mealybug reports. 
Furthermore, before the ban, Taiwan told China it updated its agriculture regulations to include more rigorous tests for sugar apples. So some authorities think that China's ban is a way to put an economic squeeze on Taiwan. Around 90% of Taiwan's sugar apple and wax apple exports go to China. So fruit farmers are once again facing the problem of too much stock with no place to go. This time around though, Taiwan is equipped with its Freedom Pineapple experience. So another campaign kicked off, this time helping Taiwan's sugar apple and wax apple farmers. Government officials posted to social media encouraging people to purchase domestic wax apples and sugar apples. This time though, instead of Freedom Pineapples, we're looking at Freedom Fruit. Though I do think the hashtag missed an opportunity with Freedom Apples. No matter pine wax or sugar, Taiwan's only got good apples. You see, agriculture ministry, it's not that hard for me. Just give me a call next time. Taiwan's various farmers are posting their goods online and taking orders which are quickly selling out. Even Taiwan's agriculture minister is showcasing wax apple goods on his social media page that people can buy. Pingtung County Magistrate Pan Meng An, whose county produces a lot of wax apples, even showed off the different kinds of wax apples people can try. Now look, it's fair if China wants to ban Taiwan's agriculture exports based on poor quality, but everything we've seen so far gives us room to doubt. Either way, Taiwan's fruits are looking for a new market, so be on the lookout because you might just find wax apples and sugar apples at your local supermarket soon. Now, before we try our hand at eating one of these, a sugar apple, here's a look at some of the other news stories that are on our radar. Taiwan has applied to join the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, or CPTPP. This pact is one of the largest and most difficult to pronounce trade agreements in existence. But Taiwan's acceptance is far from certain. First, there's the issue of its ban on food products from parts of Japan affected by the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Japan is already in the agreement, and before it gives the green light for Taiwan to join, Japan may well want to resolve the issue. Then there's the fact that China recently applied to join the trade deal as well. Taiwan has started giving the BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine to kids aged 12 to 17. It's the first time minors are being vaccinated, and just in time, as the school year kicks into full gear. When was the last time a government minister in your country danced for your amusement? Well, it's all in a day's work for Taiwan's digital minister, Audrey Tang. Tang recently took to the floor in a video encouraging people to take advantage of the newest COVID-19 economic stimulus vouchers. It seems to have worked. The voucher application website crashed on its first day. Cats are notoriously picky eaters, but apparently the pupae of the domesticated silkworm get the feline seal of approval. That's what one agricultural research center in Taiwan is claiming anyway. The center has developed a canned cat food made from these immature insects, and researchers say there's a good reason to try it out on your cat. Eating these bugs is supposed to eliminate foul odors in your kitty's litter box. Now at the top of our show, we promised you we're going to show you how to eat one of these uh, custard apples, or actually sugar apples. I think we should start off with a wax apple. Okay, it's because a little oh, easier. That's it's easier. A, it's a little milder too. So okay. If we, um, these are delicious. So these we've had pretty Very juicy. We don't need to yeah. uh, worry too this much. This is just about pop them these. and go. They're very sweet and very juicy. A mm. lot of water. They're good for quenching your thirst if you need to. Mm. Mm. I don't. Yeah, it's, it's definitely heavy on the water. Right? Yeah, it's definitely mm -hmm. kind of like quite a water. No, you know. Yeah, like you said, very juicy, watery fruit. Not very, not like a super strong flavor. But my mm. grandma used to love to cut these up and yeah. just like toss them at me. So. 
Oops. I am a connoisseur of these wax <laughs> apples, I might say. What I'm not a connoisseur of those is this right here. Yeah, I'm going to get into this. I, and, uh, I, um, I this is really very know. intriguing. I mean, what do you do? Cut it open? Well, tear it open? Well, you know, here's the thing. So there's many, like, little grooves to it, right? And funny, fun fact, they're also called a Buddha head fruit. Right. Because it looks like a Buddha's head. That's what I was going to say, you know. Um, <laughs> so the thing about custard apples is... Um, it's a little, they're a little firm right now, right? These are a little firm. Yeah. And over time, they're supposed to soften up. And there's like a little window of softness where they're perfect to be like cut open or worked open. Oh. But like, it's like a day or two. And if you uh -oh. miss that window, they almost become mushy. What right. about this one? Then? I feel like we're a bit early with these. We're I'm a bit not, earlier. Oh. I'm, not, I'm not an expert. Well. <laughs> Does uh -oh. it? It well. It doesn't mean, open. It probably means this will be less messy than it, it could well have been. So how I was how I was told was just like you just kinda like go in because this is where the grooves of the fruits are, right? You, you just, just gotta gonna, you just gotta like go into it, right? You just gotta you see, so I got not, a little bit of I'm skin not saying right here. You can open it up like in half, right? You can open it up in half, but oh, it's oh, so oh, hard. Thing. Yeah, I'm these not are strong enough for <laughs> these are not quite as ripe yet because usually they'll just fall apart. <laughs> it's sweet. It's sweet. It's not as sweet as like as when it would be like at that peak ripeness, but it, a lot of it's seeds in there as well. Light. A lot of seeds. You see the black little spots right there? A lot of seeds. That's what's going on in there. Okay, what so I'm, you get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that is how you eat a custard apple or a sugar apple. Um, I don't think we have to teach you how to eat the wax apple. You just basically cut and go. But we hope this was as educational as it was for you as it was for us. Now for the final question of the week, I'd like to ask you guys, now that you've tasted custard apple, or kind of tasted custard <laughs> apple, and wax apple, what would you do with it if you had to cook with it? Like you can bake, you can fricassee, however you'd like to do it. Stash? Uh, well mine's not so much cooking as sort of putting it with stuff, and that thing is yogurt. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, sounds pretty so healthy. I think just kind of like, you know, mix it all together with some, uh, you know, passion fruit, mango maybe, Ooh. some other kind of... Taiwanese, tropical kind of tropical Taiwanese fruits. fruits. Yeah. A little Taiwan bowl over there for yeah, you. Yeah, a little Taiwan Sounds bowl for me. Good. All right. That's pretty good. Natalie? What about a sugar apple pie Ooh. with some ice cream on top? <laughs> That, that sounds sound good. That sounds very good. In fact, Natalie, it's so good that I always had the same line of thinking. That we could put sugar apple in Ooh. cheesecake. Ooh. And Yum. I think the flavors would meld quite well together. I mean, wax apple, a little yeah. too watery, I think. Possibly, yeah. For dairy-based cheesecake. But uh, that's what I would do with the sugar apple or the wax apple. What would you do with the sugar apple or wax apple? Let us know in the comments below. Anyway, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Leslie Leo. I'm Stash Butler. And I am Natalie Sell. Make sure to follow us on our social media channels. Yes, leave a comment below. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, don't forget to tweet at us. Our handle is Taiwan Insider. Until next week, guys, try and find those wax apples. See you around. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International.
catch us on the web at english.rti.org.tw. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Lithuania is standing up for Taiwan. It is welcoming a new Taiwanese representative office in its capital, despite economic and diplomatic sanctions from Beijing. Now today, I'm honored to be able to speak with Lithuanian Member of Parliament Duvile Chakaliene. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. And thank you so much, dear Natalie. It's my pleasure and honor to speak to Taiwanese people. So, really, hello to everyone. Yes, you know, we're all very grateful for the strong stance that Lithuania is taking for relations with Taiwan, especially as Beijing has been giving your country so much pressure. They've recalled their ambassador. They're um, halting exports, from what we hear. Can you tell us how this pressure is affecting? Your country. There are some economic effects, uh, but they are not devastating. Primarily because our economic ties are not very extensive. Uh, China is seventh largest importer with uh, 1.2 billion euros, and 22nd largest export partner with 300 million euros. Uh, while Chinese direct investment in Lithuania is less than 8 million euros, so we can suffer this because losses in, uh, due to China's retaliation tactic uh, would cost us probably up, up, to, one, uh, up to half of percent uh, of our country's GDP growth. But it's not a big drama. I, I mean, what we say is we can stand it, <laughs> we can somehow manage it. But what we think is most important is that economic and trade relations with democracies are more viable and sustainable because they are less influenced by political decisions. Authoritarian regimes are really unstable and unpredictable. And we can clearly see that when we look uh, at the Australian case, when we look at our situation. So uh, we are trying to find ways to open other markets, especially when we talk uh, about our democratic allies, such as Taiwan, uh, Australia, Japan, India, United States, and our opening of Taiwan's representative office in Vilnius will be a huge step in this direction. Well, we really appreciate um, you standing up for Taiwan uh, despite all this pressure and economic loss that you may be facing from China. Can you tell us why Lithuania has decided to stand up for Taiwan? So, uh, I believe that uh, the easiest answer would be our historical experience. Uh, because um, if we remember the facts, uh, uh, it's easy to understand uh, how badly we were affected by communist regime. So approximately 130,000 Lithuanians were deported from Lithuania to Siberia. And uh, another 150,000 were imprisoned in gulags under Soviet rule. We are a small country of uh, around 3 million people. So these numbers are huge. Uh, uh, well, on average, one in five families suffered directly. My family also. My grandpa was a political prisoner and also deported to Siberia. My grandma was uh, um, um, persecuted for being in a family of forest brothers. These were our freedom fighters. But what is important to keep in mind is that until 1970s, Soviets denied existence of gulags, of this repressive system, of how many people they persecuted on political grounds. So. 
we know what it looks like when communists lie. So China's propaganda does not affect us. And another moment what is important. Soviet propaganda claimed that Lithuania joined Soviet Union voluntarily. Hello, we did not. So we really are mad about it that Soviets denied right of self-determination to our nation. So that's why we feel you. We really empathize with you, with Taiwan, because every nation has a right to self-determine what they want to be, with whom they want to be allies, or what unions they want to enter. So, you know, just summarizing, I believe that our experience is very similar. And at the same time, we are countries which are now in the neighborhood of authoritarian regimes. It's always a tension and we have to stand up together. That's right. And this week, I know that you, along with many um, EU representatives, put out a video calling for the world to stand up for Lithuania, to stand up for Taiwan, to resist um, intimidation and threats from a bully like China. <laughs> um, what do you expect to um, achieve with this video? I believe, uh, and also uh, many of my colleagues believe, that this is uh, kind of uh, uh, a wake-up call. Because the steps that the China Communist Party took lately by blacklisting uh, MPs for standing up for human rights or admitting, uh, acknowledging that uh, China is conducting uh, Uyghur genocide uh, was kind of a shock for many countries which uh, preferred uh, before not to think of what is happening in China or what may be the price of the t-shirts that we are getting that these may be bloody t-shirts. So to put it crudely, uh, China's Communist Party actually with these uh, horrible um, actions and also their retaliation and threats and intimidation in fact achieved uh, uh, more uh, united stance, more united position between uh, European Union states and uh, uh, United States and Canada and Great Britain and uh, United Kingdom and Australia and Japan than it was ever before. So thank you. Because we, democratic states, we don't respond well to, uh, to intimidation and threats. We then got another illustration and another proof that this is authoritarian regime that doesn't care about human rights. So also with this specific uh, video, what I am hoping as a member of Lithuanian parliament and really uh, responsible to my electors, to my people, to Lithuanian people, is hoping to get support and help and understanding from uh, democratic countries all over the world. And I'd like to quote Reinhard Bütikofer, uh, who is a member of European Parliament, and he said, if Lithuania is punished by Beijing, its democratic allies across the world must be ready to assist. And another, I think, very sensitive moment was by Representative Shiori Yamao, who said, Taiwan has a vital role to play in the international community and all states have the right to establish relations with Taiwan as they see fit on their own. I actually spoke with uh, Reinhard Butekoffer last week and about the report that the EU um, put out regarding upgrading relations with Taiwan. So do you see that the EU is trying to uh, grow stronger in its ties with Taiwan and um, is there more willingness to withstand pressure from China? Of course, that's a very simple answer. 
And uh, what is important, I think, in this situation is that uh, uh, we are uh, understanding that China has used a lot of divisive techniques from 17 plus 1 uh, to their wolf diplomacy and etc. in trying to um, exploit our vulnerable spots, in trying to turn us against each other. And European Union is, uh, of course, it's a huge bureaucratic machinery too. It's uh, a bit slow sometimes, but the message is more and more vibrant that democratic countries should stick together, that also international pressure and uh, international sanctions do have effect. So we must be even more proactive in that direction. And that also we should support even uh, the smallest members of our community. One of the things that really frustrates China um, is that Lithuania is a member of EU and NATO. And it's one more proof that international formats like this, they not only protect, but also empower even their smallest members. We are a small country, but see, we are tough because we have big brothers and big sisters next to us and we're all sticking up together. So uh, I'm hoping that uh, talking about Taiwan, we will expand uh, a lot of uh, areas from cultural to economical to health. Uh, you know, pandemic context gave us a lot more to work with and to talk about and everything else that, you know, we'll see fit. Us, we will decide it, you and us. That's that's wonderful. Um, I really admire the strong stance that um, Lithuania, as a small country, about three million people, right, is taking. What kind of impact do you think that this is going to have on the whole world, you know, other countries and their relations with China and with Taiwan? Let me be honest. China is one of the countries that is not really happy with the current world order because uh, the current world order is uh, rules-based. It's uh, international standards-based. It's uh, not really supportive of uh, the uh, crude, naked uh, power, which is devoid of rules, devoid of uh, agreements and standards. So in my opinion, China is trying to, to challenge this and to change this. And our position uh, of a really small country who has suffered horribly, it took us five decades to regain our independence, but we made it, being vocal about human rights violations, uh, being supportive of other democracies suffering or in danger uh, of authoritarian regimes, is also giving a message that it's not up to your uh, size or to your economic power. I mean, in this context, I believe that uh, it's going to be tough, and probably not for a year. It's going to be tough for decades. China is a huge country, and it's uh, geopolitically a very, very powerful player. So it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, but we must must be prepared to run it. Lithuania did one, a very, very difficult marathon for half a century. We'll do another. Well, it's, it's wonderful to see um, the strength and courage of the Lithuanians. You were the first country to declare independence from the Soviet Union before it even dissolved. Where do you think the courage of your people come from? So, um, first of all, uh, I believe uh, it, it was not, uh, you know, that we declared independence before Soviet Union dissolved. We broke it down <laughs> because it was uh, a regime that uh, uh, occupied uh, our countries that, that uh, used hostile tactics and propaganda tactics 
to make the world believe that we were voluntarily included in that Soviet Union, whilst it was not true, they uh, um, occupied us. But another thing which is very important is uh, the wish for freedom, the free spirit of Lithuanians is running very deep. Uh, there was a time when we were the largest country in Europe, going from Baltic Sea to Black Sea. Actually, for centuries, Lithuania was one of the biggest countries in Europe or the biggest country in Europe. But we were always tolerant people. We never suppressed religion and language of the nations that were connected to us. There was always alliances. But what we still have, you know, from that time is that we have our state for so many years, for more than a thousand years. And no one is going to break our free spirit. And if the uh, Soviet Union occupied us for half a century, we will survive. We will break free again. And Lithuanian freedom fighters called Forest Brothers were 15 years after occupation resisting Soviet rule. That was the longest resistance. And then again, we took a huge risk in 1990 to break down the Soviet Union. And we succeeded. So when we see another nation fighting for a right of self-determination or just fundamental human rights, we feel kinship. We know what it feels like. And the freedom of spirit cannot be killed. The spirit of freedom cannot be killed. Sorry. That's right. Is there anything you'd like to uh, say to the people of Taiwan? Stay strong. It's going to get better. You have friends and allies. And we really, with all our heart, are with you. Thank you so much. We appreciate um, you speaking with us, and we appreciate the people and government of your country standing with Taiwan. I've been speaking with Lithuanian Member of Parliament, Dovile Shakliene. It's been um, wonderful speaking with you. Thank you so much again. Are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. For all your science and tech news, it's Stash Butler with the download. Welcome to the download from Radio Taiwan International, where we cover all the latest developments in science and technology. I'm your host, Stash Butler, and I'll be taking you through everything you need to know. Today, I speak to Professor Jia Si Wang. She's the lead author on a recent scientific article claiming that when it comes to COVID, we've underestimated how much it spreads through the air. All that coming up on The Download.
So, Professor Wong published an article in the journal Science a few weeks ago now with the uh, title Airborne Transmission of Respiratory Viruses. Basically, it shows, using evidence from over 100 previous studies, that we've got it wrong when it comes to how COVID is infecting people around the world. How did scientists think these viruses spread in the past and how does your research challenge that view? Uh, in the past few decades, scientists or most uh, public health agencies consider that a droplet and the formite transmission as the primary transmission pathway for most viruses. But uh, during the outbreak of COVID-19, we saw a lot of cases, especially the super spreading event. And the traditional view of droplet and formite transmission failed to interpret those cases. So that urges us to track back and try to better understand the transmission pathway. And it turned out that airborne transmission that has been long underappreciated in the past few decades turned out to be a major trans transmission pathway for the uh, SARS-CoV-2 and also for many other respiratory viruses. You talk about fomite transmission. I think I should sort of clarify for for our less sort of well-versed scientifically um, viewers and listeners, that, that you're referring to kind of transmission by contact with surfaces. You know, as someone living in Taiwan, it's a familiar sight, I'm sure, to, to people here and, and to people around the world to see, um, you know, restaurant staff, to see people on, on public transportation, wiping down tables and, and wiping down surfaces and wiping down handles to stop the spread of, of COVID-19. Have we overestimated how much this virus spreads through surfaces? I would say yes, because the importance of formite transmission has recently to be proved as a minor transmission pathway. And it is not as important as we previously anticipated. Let's, let's talk about aerosols then, because, I mean, what makes these, uh, these, these tiny particles so dangerous when it comes to spreading COVID-19? Because aerosols are very small, tiny particulate matters suspended in the air. And the size of aerosols play a major role. In terms of aerosols, they can suspend in the air for a long period of time. And with the, under the influence of ventilation or the wind speed or the airflow ventilation pattern, they can travel longer than what we currently set as the physical distance. So they can travel for a long distance. And once inhaled, they can travel deep into our lung. They can deposit in the alveolar region or bronchiolar regions, and that can do more harm uh, than the droplet transmission pathway. I mean, so you talk about how uh, these viruses, th these little particles, can, because they're smaller, can kind of go deeper into your body, essentially. Um, yes. What are the dangers that that, the specific kind of risks that that brings? Uh, in our article, we address some scientific basis underlying each processes. So if they, they can sustain for a longer period of time, then they have chance to travel further away and they can carry more impact. And uh, once inhaled into our lower respiratory tract, 
they can deposit there and bypassing the current screening test because that's usually the current screening test always doing the swap sampling at the oral areas and that might contribute some, to some of the asymptomatic uh, cases. And also we found out that the viral load in the finer aerosols are actually higher than the droplets or higher than the bigger aerosols. So you're saying that essentially some of these infections, if they've been, people have been infected through the aerosol route, they might not show up on tests. Yes. Yeah, because the virus doesn't deposit there. They deposit it at deeper part of our lungs. You know, moving on, I guess, to this idea of the kind of droplet transmission, which is, uh, you know, through kind of sneezes and coughs. I mean, anyone who's sneezed and coughed in public in the last year and a half knows that people are very concerned about infection through that particular route. But you say we've overestimated that risk. Why is that? Uh, because usually when people cough or sneeze, they can indeed produce some droplets and usually it's larger than 100 micron. And based on the aerodynamic properties, normally they will fall down to the ground or some surfaces within a few, just a few seconds. So uh, that means they cannot travel longer than one meter. In contrast to aerosols, uh, they can sustain for a longer pe period of time. So they can carry more influence to our bodies once inhaled. So taking all of these conclusions together, uh, your article kind of poses some possible solutions and possible measures we could be taking. What are those measures? What can we do to reduce the risk of aerosol transmission of COVID-19? Yes, there are a few strategies that we can take to reduce the risk of airborne transmission, especially the emphasis on the air cleaning. We need to pay more attention to clean the air instead of clean the surfaces. So uh, we improve the air ventilation or uh, we can add some air filtration with the air cleaner installed with HEPA filters or we can implement the upper room uh, UV disinfection lamp. That can also help to inactivate the, the activities or infectivities of viruses. Additionally, uh, wearing mask and wearing mask with fit is very critical because for aerosols, they can easily sneak into the gap if there is any gap between the mask and our skin. I mean, your, your article also uh, has an interesting kind of conclusion. In Taiwan at the moment, um, part of the current regulations are that if you go to a restaurant, um, the restaurants all have these plastic dividers between seats that in theory, uh, I suppose, would stop droplet transmission. But your article says, has, has an interesting conclusion about that. What, what is it? Okay, that is based on a recent research they found out that uh, the physical barriers like desk shields, they can presumably trap higher concentration of aerosols in the breathing zone. So that means that would increase the risk of inhale aerosols in that area and increase the risk of transmission. So you would advise on, 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 the, on the basis of this evidence that perhaps we, we shouldn't be using these kinds of boards in restaurants? 
Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. That was Professor Jiaxi Wang telling me why we're not doing enough to stop COVID-19 from infecting us through the air. And that's all we have time for this week. Next week, I speak to Dr. Alex Tichi, who tells me how he went from being a professional actor to a full-time astronomer. That's next week with me, Stash Butler, on the download. This is highlights brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Now, at the top of our show, we promised you we're going to show you how to eat one of these uh, custard apples, or actually sugar apples. I think we should start off with a wax apple. Okay, it's because a little oh, easier. That's it's easier. A, it's a little milder too. So okay. If we, um, these are delicious. So these we've had pretty Very juicy. We don't need to yeah. uh, worry too this much. This is just about pop them these. and go. They're very sweet and very juicy. Mm. A lot of water. They're good for quenching your thirst if you need to. Mm -hmm. I don't. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely heavy on the water. Right? Yeah, it's mm -hmm. kind of like quite a water. No, you know. Yeah, like you said, very juicy, watery fruit. Not very, not like a super strong flavor. But my mm. grandma used to love to cut these up and yeah. just like toss them at me. So. Oops. I, I am a connoisseur of these wax <laughs> apples, I might say. What I'm not a connoisseur of, though, is this right here. Yeah, I'm going to get into this. I, and, uh, I, um, I this don't is very know. intriguing. I mean, what do you do? Cut it open? Well, tear it open? Well, you know, here's the thing. So there's many, like, little grooves to it, right? And funny, fun fact, they're also called a Buddha head fruit. Right. Because it looks like a Buddha's head. That's what I was going to say, you know. Um, <laughs> so the thing about custard apples is... Um, it's a little, they're a little firm right now, right? These are a little firm. Yeah. And over time, they're supposed to soften up. And there's like a little window of softness where they're perfect to be like cut open or worked open. Oh. But like, it's like a day or two. And if you uh -oh. miss that window, they almost become mushy. What right. about this one then? I feel like we're a bit early with these. We're I'm a bit early. Oh. I'm, not, I'm not an expert. Does well. Yeah. Does uh -huh. it? Does well. It probably means this would be less messy than it, it could well have been. So how I was how I was taught was just like you just kind of like go in because this is where the grooves of the fruits are, right? You, you just, just gotta, gotta <laughs> you just gotta like go into it, right? You just gotta you see. So I I'm got not, a little bit of I'm skin right here. You have to open it up like in half, right? You can open it up in half, but oh, it's oh, too oh, hard. Yeah, I'm these not are strong just, enough. For these are not quite as ripe yet because <laughs> usually they'll just fall apart. <laughs> it's sweet. It's sweet. It's not as sweet as like. As when it would be like at that peak ripeness, but it, a lot of it's seeds in there as well. Way. A lot of seeds. You see the black little spots right there? A lot of seeds. That's what's going on in there. Okay, what so I'm, you get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that is how you eat a custard apple or a sugar apple. Um, I don't think we have to teach you how to eat the wax apple. You just basically cut and go. But we hope this was as educational as it was for you as it was for us.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.